You're listening to Kiama Community Radio. This program is proudly supported by Kiama Community College. There's something for everyone, from nationally accredited career courses to seniors' computing, languages, and lifestyle programs. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our segment called Omnibus Tales from the Blue Haven Community Bus. Fred Hollis here for the segment where we talk with Blue Haven Care volunteers, staff and clients who use the Blue Haven Community Transport Services. As you know, this segment focuses on the lives of some of the people that helped establish our beautiful region. Today, our passengers on the bus are two clients who are regulars on the bus and one of the Blue Haven volunteer drivers. Before we start, I'd like to thank Marissa Phillips of Blue Haven Care. Marissa coordinates and organises most of the community transport operations for Blue Haven Care and helped organise today's interviews. Our passengers on the bus today are great examples of the diverse experiences that make up our community. Angela Favorito has lived in Kiama Downs, right near the water overlooking Jones Beach, for the past 47 years. She remembers the early years there and also recounts her extensive travel overseas. Val Brunker is a legend among netball enthusiasts in the Kaima area and has the Val Brunker Centre named in her honour. Val was president of the Kaima Netball Association for 28 years and also has strong links to the tennis community. We hear the story of how she came to Kaima and started up the local netball competition which now boasts over 800 players and 6 clubs. John Knox has been a volunteer on the Blue Haven Community Bus for the past nine and a half years. John describes the various support offered by Blue Haven Community Transport and some of the interesting characters he's transported over the years. So let's board the bus and hear from our passengers. Our first passenger today is Angela Favorito of Kiama Downs. Good afternoon, Angela. How are you Good today? afternoon, Fred. I'm very well, thank you. We're here at your beautiful home overlooking this, the South Pacific Ocean. It's magnificent views out here. How long have you lived in the Kiama area? 47 years. Were you born here? Or did you no, no. I was born in Sydney and we came for a drive, I think it was in the early 60s, and we fell in love with Kiama. We bought the land in 1970. We came and moved in this house in 1974. Only seems like yesterday. Yes. <laughs> Whereabouts did you live in your early years? My parents had a little grocery shop in Surrey Hills. I lived there till I was 10 and then we moved uh, to Ride and uh, I lived there until I was 22. Met my husband and we moved to Putney. So were you working when you were in Putney? No, I was married and I had my three children there. Boy, girl, boy. So did you have a career at that stage? or No, I was a, a dental nurse that when I got married I gave all that up. I've interviewed three or four women who all said that when they got married, they had to give up their jobs well, in, the, in those years. Women did in those days. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Imagine the amount of skills that people lost from that stupidity. Yes, once you started a family, your role was to stay home and yes. mind your children. Because they didn't have the preschools back then like they had today. No. You had a child, your role was to stay home and mind your child. Yeah. Then you moved down here. What was your husband doing at that stage? He was electroplater, chrome plating, gold plating, silver plating. Back then they all cars had chrome bumper bar. They've got to be plated and then he went into silver teapots and silverware, yeah. gold, gold plating. A lot of jewellery today, they're all gold plated, they're not gold. 
And so this was the house currently That's in. That's right. There was no one here when we came. We were like living on a lighthouse. <laughs> when we came, there were no houses, no trees. There was a very big storm in 74. The school kids had to be evacuated from St Peter and Paul's School in Kiama. Tide came right up over the road. All this reserve was absolutely covered in white foam. It was like a washing machine. So where you are here with this in a storm gap. like that, you'd be getting spray all over your windows. <laughs> it's a wonder you can see out of them now. Yes, a lot of salt. The tornado, I think they called yeah, it. Yeah, that was about seven years ago. Six or seven years like ago. Yes, and my bedroom window went right past my face. The wall behind my bed, it looked like bullet pockholes that when the window was shattered, it just the force, all the chips of the glass was embedded in the wall. I'm very lucky I wasn't shredded. This area here, it's north Jones. of Jones's Beach. Mm. And when you first came here, there was, there was hardly anybody here at all. When you wanted, you wanted to go down to the beach, and I suppose you'd go down to the beach and there, and there wouldn't be anybody on it. Uh, well, no, because there was nobody. Yes. <laughs> and there was no Gainsborough. There was nobody over there to come over here. That was all cows and horses. That was a paddock. And I used to stand at the lounge room window and say, oh, look, look at all the cows up there and all the horses. Yeah, it was just beautiful. And it still is. Yes. This is why people come, because it's beautiful. And we're looking out at this the headland here with Minamar. Minamar. You can walk over have the river and back again every morning, or we'd go to Bombo and back. And a break from monotony, you'd say, right, let's walk to Clamrin. <laughs> In that map on the wall there with all those dots, looks like there's about 50 or 60 of them of places that you've been. Was travelling and touring a, oh, a major part of your lives? Absolutely. Some of them, the dots are in the middle of the Indian Ocean at the Atlantic Ocean. Can you talk to us about the sort of cruises and, and the overseas trips you've done? Well, we both like travel and we're, travel is a great education. You can read a book, but actually going there and seeing things, it really opens your eyes. was lucky enough to go on a cruise when I was 18. My parents had a, a very dear friend and she was going to New Zealand and she asked my parents for permission if I'd be able to accompany her. I hadn't been anywhere. You know, I was just turned 18 and it really opened my eyes. So that was the first trip to New Zealand? I've been three times. So there's plenty of dots over there that are in Europe. Is oh. Turkey on the list or Greece? We've been to the Greek Islands, we've been to Cairo, we've been to Moscow. I've been in the pyramids, swum in the Dead Sea. And Moscow? When did you go to Moscow? Might have been 93. So we were in this queue in Red Square. It was a glass coffin of linen, as large as life, only it wasn't life at all. <laughs> as, as large as mm. a mummy. When I went to Vietnam, we saw Ho Chi Minh. They mm. had the same thing, a glass case. Yes. And you had to walk past the glass case with soldiers standing around. Oh, absolutely, yes. Weren't allowed to say a thing. No, I thought she'd keep going. And apparently they used to they send Ho Chi Minh's body back to Moscow once a year to get refurbished. <laughs> which is true, they do. <laughs> Paint it up and fix up waxed. bits that are falling off. Rewaxed. Yes, rewaxed. Mm. So what would you say the best place you actually visited? Alaska, up into the Arctic Circle. We went to Spitsbergen and we were allowed off the ship and we had to walk, I suppose, half a kilometre to this very old little museum. And there were signs up in the museum, never go out alone, always carry a gun, see a bear, shoot to kill, report all shootings. So we were right up there where the polar bears were. That is so different, so very different. 
how would you describe the, the glaciers? Oh, just unbelievable. They call it carving when such big hunks just fall off and fall into the ocean and you can hear this crack and it just, oh. So you've also got South America in there. Oh, lovely, yes. Mm. Went around Cape Horn. We've been to the Falkland Islands. So did you go on to the Falkland Islands? Oh, yes. Very cold, very windy. A huge war memorial there of all the young boys that died. Mm. Yes, it was very interesting. In South America, which country did you like the most? They're all very interesting. Argentina was fascinating. Brazil, was that was fascinating also. We went to Lake Titicata, which is the highest inland lake in the world. It's an island made of straw, and it's very hard to believe. How can you have an island made of straw? There's an island made of straw in the middle of Lake Titicaca? Yes. They grow the straw, or the straw grows, and then they can actually get a saw. The story goes, if you don't get on with your in-laws, you can just cut your section off and float away. How did you get associated with the Blue Haven bus? My husband had been very sick for many years. He had Parkinson's disease. And I had to go and see a specialist, and he couldn't drive. And I thought, well, what you do is you get a taxi, because I had no other way. So I got a taxi from here to PRP in Blackbutt, to see, have some scans. Then I got a taxi from there to Shell Harbour Junction. Got the train to Wollongong and I got a taxi from there to go and see a specialist. So it must have been someone on the way in mm. one of the doctor's surgeries that said, well, how did you get here? So the next morning, I got a phone call from my aged care and said, can we come and interview you? And she said, well, you know, you can get help with your transport. And then Blue Haven phoned me. Isn't that fabulous? I didn't know these services existed either. I don't drive. My husband was too sick. And they rang me and yeah. said, we're here to help. And they have. And I'm very grateful oh, to them. But it's a fabulous service. And the, oh. the people there I, I really admire. And they're, they're, yes. lo they're lovely people. Well, you've got to be to be in that. They're there people to help people. This is what life should all be yeah. about. So we're just drawing to the end of our interview now. If you were talking to young people, what would be your advice about a long and happy life? Be very patient. Think before you talk, think before you act, and try and help people as much as you can. And people in Kiama, I find, are very, very friendly. Thank you very much, Angela, for your oh. time. Angela Favorito. Kiama Community Radio. For the community, by the community. Our next passenger on the bus is Val Brunker. Well, good afternoon, Val. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. I'm with Val Brunker in a beautiful home overlooking Minamara Golf Course. <laughs> beautiful, nice and light and airy up here. But we just want to talk about aspects of your your long and happy life. Were you born here or did you no, come? No, no, came back down in 1980. Where were you born? born? I was born down at Camaray. And did you live there for the early part of your life? Only for about seven years and then we moved to Willoughby and I spent most of my teenage years there and then we moved up to Cogra Bay. How old were you at that stage? Oh, about 17. And yeah. did you go to high school at that point or is it... No, no, no. I went to high school at Willoughby Catholic School and um, then to Narrabeena High School. So when you moved to Cogra Bay, started work at that point or was that... Uh, yeah, I was working. I was working in office at Gordon and Gotch. What Magazine distributors they were. And then I moved to transport department down at the Quay. I was just working in the office and working in the, with people, helping people with their passes and their pensioners and things. Then I got a job close to home at Westcott Hazel. And then I met my husband. Ah, yes. <laughs> Maury. Maury, yes. yes. They were putting the sewer on the street. <laughs> 
I always told him I dug him out of the Oh, sea. no. <laughs> my brother had a young brother, and he used to go and talk to the guys working. I was never home. I was out all the time. So I couldn't make it in time. He wanted to meet up with me, and he was studying. So anyhow, one Saturday morning, I decided to take the dog for a walk to have a look and see what this guy looked like. Oh. And that was it, yeah. You could make a huge amount of jokes out of that one, couldn't you? No. <laughs> How long have you been in the Kaimei area? 41 years since 1980, when we moved down. Right. So what made you decide to move down? Well, we used to have, because I had five children, and we had a big caravan. We'd come down to Kaimei oh. every year for the six weeks. We'd bring the van down. And one day we'd come into Minamara. Beautiful day. It was perfect. Yeah. The river was perfect. So we bought the boat back the next day. I just said to Maria, Tate, I'm going to live here one day. <laughs> All this tennis and netball history, how did all that come about? Before I moved down here, when I was up at Blacktown, I was junior registrar of Blacktown Netball Association. I did that for 10 years, which was a huge, big association, really, really big, okay. and I loved it. I love netball. Then yep. when we moved down, I got, and there was no netball down here. <laughs> a friend was doing a new one after school, so she asked me, would I take it over? I said, yes. And then the parents started to say, well, we've got nowhere to play. So I put notices in the paper, anybody want to play netball? So I got 100 people come want to play. So, we <laughs> so were the netball courts? We didn't have netball courts at the time. The leisure centre was here, so we hired the courts in there. And that's where we started from. And then I'd hound the council for courts. <laughs> and they're the ones that were built at the Val Brunker Reserve? Well, eventually, first of all, they said we could have a netball court on either side of the soccer field. When the cricket started, they moved us from there. So poor old Murray, he was digging holes everywhere, putting posts in. Uh, yeah. Then I read in the local paper that they were making a big extra car park behind the leisure centre. I went to the council and said, well, you know, overflow car park, you don't need it. I said, how about marking that book course from it? So they did come around, yeah. So that's how we got our first three courts there, yeah. How many courts are there now? Seven bitumen and a couple of grass ones. And we use the courts inside. We still use the indoor courts too. You were responsible for basically getting that whole netball. Well, yeah, I was the one that used to chase the council and hound the council and hound the mayor and everything. Oh, right. <laughs> it worked. It worked. Honestly. Yeah. It worked. We got what we wanted, yeah. And council were good to us. The outdoor staff were wonderful to us. They'd do anything to help us. Help yeah. me, yeah. They were really, really good. And I'd say, it's the lady that always wants something done. Oh, <laughs> He'd say, what do you want done this time, oh. Val? <laughs> but they were, they were really helpful. I will say they were really, really good. The competition started in 1986, I gather. Yep. You were elected president, and then you were then the president for 28 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fairly long stint. long without time. Some, Three senior divisions and six clubs were formed, which included Kiama Central, Kiama Downs, Gainsborough, Gerringong, Werry Beach and Beachettes. Yep. And about 10 years ago, Berry also joined. Yep. So that's fabulous, isn't that's it? So how many, people would you, how many people would be playing netball down here now, do you think? More than 800. With the tennis side of things, so you were also... <laughs> yeah. 1986, much the same time. Yeah. Uh, looking for someone to do the job and nobody could do it, so I put my hand up. Well, it was the Tennis Association and the tennis courts around here in Amara is where I'm a member of the club. And then I used to look after the keys and everything for the court there. And, and you were still the... Sorry. I was ladies' competition secretary. You were there for... Yeah, until the year before last. I 30 odd didn't years. Didn't stand, yeah. <laughs> well, you've had a spectacular career in this. So you were into netball and tennis yourself anyway, were you? Yes, I played netball and I played tennis, yes. I liked them both. And how long did you play them, or netball in particular? 
Well, netball, I started when my daughter was 10. So that was, how old is she now? 60. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 50 years ago. And 20 years? I played at school. Oh, played at school. I played at school, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the girl, when the girls got old enough to play, I went looking for somewhere for them to play. Tennis, I suppose. Didn't play that until till the kids had been a little bit older. And I just go out to started socially when we come down here and the courts were there. So I joined yeah, the club then. Yeah. yeah. That's been a fantastic career. I've been lucky. Yeah. I've had good support all the time. Good people around me and everything. Murray was good. He was really good with the now netball. Now your husband, yeah. So yeah. what would he do generally? He was help, help out. Oh, whatever he could. Well, he dig all the holes, to put all the posts in to start with. And then he got brambled where he worked, talked him into giving them an old caravan for the canteen. So he towed in every day, frightened it was going to fall to pieces out in yeah. the street. And then he acquired a shed for it. We don't say anything about that. <laughs> and had painted up, come in and got all electricity put on it. Yeah, so it was our canteen for a long time. What would be your advice to young people to have a long and happy life? Play sport. Play sport's an important part of the A team sport, of course, it gives them that team working with other people and being able to lose, to win, and it's important. It's, it's important that they can learn to lose. I think you learn from those sort of team sports <laughs> yes. the values and the expectations of what a good sport is. That's right. And yeah. how you are supposed to re- react yeah. when someone does beat you. That's right. Fortunately, today, too many kids are brought up that they've got to win everything and they can't cope when they lose. Seem to be a bit like that, doesn't I know. it? And yeah. sometimes it's the parents on the sideline who are yeah, yeah, sending yeah. all those yeah. the wrong messages. Yeah. Uh-huh. My son had a coach when he was a soccer player who was fabulous and it was all about trying hard. Everyone got a go. Yes. And you learned how to win, you learned how yeah, to lose. We taught those really good values. Yes. And there was none of this stuff on the sideline having a go at other players no, no, or anything no. like that. If somebody did that, he would pull them aside and say, that's not the way we play. That's right. Yeah, that's it. Seems to be pretty straightforward to me. Moral compass, maybe, as Judge Judy would say. (laughs) I love Judge Judy. Yes, so do I. That's right. She's straight down the line, isn't she? That's right. Instant (laughs) justice. That's what I like. Anyway, sorry, I won't get carried away. Look, have you got anything else you'd like to say? Yeah, really. I've just had a great life. Been really good. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Well, well having a nice positive attitude, the things probably goes a long <laughs> way, doesn't it? Yes. No, I have. It's been really good. I still have a good. I love being here. I love living in Minamara. <laughs> Val Brunker, thank you so much for talking to us today. Okay. Kiamacommunityradio.org. Our final passenger on the bus is John Knox. John, in fact, is a long-term volunteer on the community bus. So let's hear what he's got to say about his experiences on the bus. Morning, John. How are you going? Really good, thank you. I welcome you to the luxurious Kiama Leagues Club boardroom. It's very nice to be doing this interview here, and we thank the Kiama Leagues Club very much for giving us this opportunity. Now, you've been a volunteer for Blue Haven for nine and a half years, I understand. That's right, yeah. I started in 2011. I've been living in the Kiama area about 20 years, and I was a teacher for 37 years. Spent 15 years at Cabramatta High School and then the rest of my teaching careers at Picton High School. Since retiring, I still do a bit of teaching at Illawarra Environmental Education Centre. It's a great job. We have kindergarten right through to year 12. So it's just funny teaching little kids after having all those years of high school. It's a great program where the class teachers bring their classes to us and we give them a, a geography excursion or a science excursion mm. or Aboriginal studies or whatever. I think we run about 38 different programs for 
person from stages of kindergarten right through to year 12. In I call it teacher heaven. Yeah. <laughs> all the best things about teaching with Nali, sitting up all hours preparing lectures and marking things. What got you interested in doing volunteering generally and volunteering for Blue Haven in particular? I've always been involved with volunteering. I've been in the bushfire brigade for 20 years at Douglas Park and also involved with Wandal Youth Network and Progress Association. A few of my golfing mates started up through our Lions Club as well and I think there's about 10 of us in the Lions Club, Minamara Lions Club that drive. A very rewarding experience and wonderful people and it's terrific to take them out to shopping or take them out on social outings, doctor appointments and things like that. So today you've done some volunteering this morning and you're going to do some more this afternoon. Shopping this morning and I've got a few doctor's appointments in Wollongong for the rest of the day. Can you explain some of the sort of things you might do in volunteering on a day-to-day basis? Well, I mainly do um, shopping trips on every second Monday. Uh, also do social bus trips. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the old people just wouldn't get out of their homes much around Coleman District except for their social outings. But yeah. with the coronavirus, a lot of people have been housebound. So how many people would you take shopping, for example, today? Uh, I had four today. One of my ladies, lovely lady, she's 100, and she's still very active. That's Um, Beryl. Beryl, yeah, I I interviewed her for this program. Yeah, I've been taking Beryl shopping for about six, seven years now. She's a real marvel. What do you actually find rewarding about volunteering? I think it's just, one, you're being useful in the community, but secondly, you hear some wonderful stories from the old people. I've heard a few interesting stories about what it was like in Sydney during the war. Lady I transport one time in Ramwick when Sydney was shelled by, shelled the, Japanese. by the Japanese submarines. Wow. Yeah, lots of stories about that. Another guy I transported, one of his mates was a real aircraft spotter. And these two guys, they come to the conclusion this plane flying over Sydney at the time was a, a Japanese plane. Sure enough, it was. They went to the police station, reported it, and that was a plane that the Japanese used the day before to check out where the shipping was in Sydney Harbour, ready to midget submarines into. Anyway, that plane landed back at Pearl Beach, where the Japanese submarines did the raid on Sydney Harbour, and they scuttled the plane and went back and did the raid in Sydney Harbour that night. What do you think the attributes of a good volunteer are? Listening skills, being a good navigator. (laughs) (laughs) Just the trips to Sydney I do, you know, it's two hours each way in the vehicle and you've got four hours of conversation with the people. It's just good to keep their mind off the treatment they're going through. On the way to these appointments, people are quite stressed and can be very closed down. Calm them down a little bit. Yeah, Yeah. and on the way back, Mm. it's usually the opposite and they're relaxed. The office staff are fantastic, the way they organise the, I think it's something like 50 bus drivers, so it's a lot of people to coordinate. So have you got anything you'd like to say or anything to add to conclude then? Well, I would just encourage people if you feel like uh, you might be able to become a volunteer, there's plenty of opportunities there for you to drive or be an offsider on the vehicles, even just run some of the men's group or bowling group at table people when yeah. they go on shopping trips or social bus trips. We've taken some really interesting places. We took a group down to Jarvis Bay a while back on a dolphin watching trip. Another time, Lady Denman Ferry and Museum, and we've been to Alpaca Farm, Garden Island, uh, Tulip Festival at Barrel. There's lots yeah. of interesting places to go yeah. to, and people really appreciate these trips away. Well, look, thank you very much for your time today. Thank um, you, Greg. I'll let you go off and do your next round of hospital trips, and thanks again. Pleasure. And that brings to an end this episode of Tales from the Blue Haven Bus. 
Thanks to our special guests, Angela Favorito, Val Brunker and John Knox. And remember, as Babe Ruth said, the way a team plays as a whole determines its success. You may have the greatest bunch of individual stars in the world, but if they don't play together, the club won't be worth a dime. You've been listening to Kiama Community Radio. The views, information or opinions expressed during this segment are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Kiama Community Radio.